the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Ah, yes, indeed, and a good afternoon to you. Welcome to Thursday. It is the fourth day of January in 2018, and great to have you on board for another edition of Lifeline. Okay, coming up on today's program, we've got a lot of great stuff for you. Hour number two tonight, we're going to begin the first of a six-week long series on parenting. And uh, we have been privileged to join us in the studio, Vern Tyler from the Hosanna Parent Project. You've heard Vern been on the program many, many times down through the years. And um, he is going to join us for what essentially would become Parenting Boot Camp. And uh, we'll kind of lay the groundwork tonight. And then this will be a weekly series that will be every Thursday at 6 p.m. right here on Lifeline on KFAX. And um, Vern is going to basically pull back the layers of the proverbial parenting onion and give us insights on how to deal with the strong-willed child, the child that's out of control, um, all of the basic fundamental skills that you wish somebody had written down into a manual and handed you when you first began parenting. So if you know someone is struggling, maybe you've got um, challenges with uh, some grandkids and you want to get your son or daughter to tune in, we invite you to make it a date every Thursday, 6 p.m. right here on KFAX. We'll get our parenting classes underway tonight and run for the next six weeks. So uh, make it a point to join us for that later on this evening. Also later on in the first hour tonight, we're going to be joined by Joyce Cordy. Joyce, of course, is the founder and president of Reimagine America. We're going to talk about year number one, the Trump administration. We'll talk a bit about Steve Bannon and why it's not good to bite the hand that feeds you. All that and more as we uh, get into a bit of uh, political commentary and insight with Joyce Cordy a little bit later on in this first hour. Well, you heard about it. You probably even felt it. We had a bit of an early morning wake-up call, just about, uh, well, 2.40 a.m. by my calculation. You know what happened, don't you? Miguel Amigur was on scene with details for NBC's Today Show. It struck at about 2.40 a.m., likely on the so-called Hayward Fault, and was felt up to 40 miles away. Locals reported a sharp jolt, then several seconds of shaking. At this hour, no reports of any serious damage or injuries. And uh, let me be very abundantly clear about this. This is through no, no fault of my own. You missed it. You had the rim shot. You didn't have the rim shot guy ready to go, Jarrell. I'm dis. Thank you. <laughs> all right. But all kidding aside, you know, longtime Bay Areans, we tend to kind of pshaw over earthquakes of this size. In fact, you know, if it doesn't begin with a 5.9, we we consider it, you know, nothing more than uh, what 2:40 in the morning. It was like dropping a quarter in the magic fingers. Remember those? It goes way back. Um, in any event. 
The issue of earthquake preparedness, though, is one that we really need to take far more seriously. You know, the the grandeur of this region here in California that we call home is created by many natural geological forces. And historically, a lot of those forces are tied into things like volcanoes and Mount Shasta and closer to home, earthquakes. So what of serious earthquakes and what do we need to do to be ready? Geologists and experts with the U.S. Geological Survey have said for years now that the San Francisco Bay region is living essentially on borrowed time. Skylar Halgren joins us. Skylar is an emergency preparation advocate, co-founder of the Earthquake Bag, a company committed to helping folks like us be prepared for the big one. Skylar, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Craig. I appreciate it. You know, we kind of talk about this usually around April when we mark the anniversary of the great San Francisco earthquake and fire. Folks that have lived in the Bay Region for long enough will recall October the 17th of 1989 and the Loma Prieta earthquake. And aside from the Napa earthquake here of more recent memory, we really haven't had that many recent events that what I suggest would, would jar Bay Areans out of their sense of comfort and get better prepared. Why do you think that is? Why do I think it is that we haven't had one in a bit? No, why do you think it is that we we live in earthquake country and that we seem to be so nonchalant about it? I think you nailed it. I think if you grew up in the Bay Area or if you've been here for a while, you've heard about it a lot. It's kind of a part of our local lore from 89 to 1906 and the great San Francisco earthquake. And you know, you'd almost think that that could be, uh, that would make us more aware, but I think you're absolutely right. We're kind of lulled into, uh, you know, just like a sense of comfort with it. It's familiar. We've heard a lot about it. And, I mean, frankly, I think that uh, things like last night were, are really great for us because it helps remind us that, hey, this is, this is where we live, this is what's going on, and this is what it feels like to be woken up in the middle of the night. So, yeah, not a, not a five-point-something or six-point-something, but it was enough to kind of remind us of where we live. And I think that's really important when it comes to just doing the common sense planning with your family to, to get prepared. And as we learned, we sit on not one, not two, but three or more major fault lines between the San Andreas fault line, the Hayward fault line, the Rogers fault line, on and on the list goes, any one of which could be poised for a major event. And when that major event happens, Skylar, it's not going to be a walk in the park, is it? I mean, authorities used to warn us that we should be prepared for up to 72 hours of no services for from um, police fire agencies, the usual suspects, and be prepared to be on our own for that period of time. But I understand even that seems to be a bit optimistic, that the matter of being self-sustaining, self-sufficient is more critical now than ever. I think it's really important, and I think it's tempting for people to not want to think about that. Uh, I think folks have a tendency to do one of two things. Either think that the next major earthquake is going to be so devastating that it's not even worth preparing for, or that, uh, you know, I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about something negative. It's hard to think about my family in that type of situation, and so I'm going to ignore it. But, um, you know, I think we're smart enough to think statistically. And statistically, we know the probability is, you know, you'll survive the earthquake, and um, what we'll really have to deal with is exactly what you're talking about, Craig, dealing with out services and infrastructure and those pieces that we are very used to living with for 72 hours or longer. So earthquake happens, we are cut off from the outside world, 
during that period of time, we could see a prolonged period. Certainly the folks down in um, Puerto Rico know this, a long period without electricity. So no power means for many of us no way to cook meals, no way to keep food refrigerated. And so it quickly goes to spoil. And and perhaps the most immediate issue beyond uh, protection of uh, life and limb is preservation of life from the basics that we take for granted right now. I walk to the tap, I turn it on, water flows. The refrigerator is always running. I turn on the stove. There's power there to prepare a meal. That's not going to be the case following a major earthquake. That's exactly right. And it's hard to put yourself in that mindset because we're so used to having it. But you're right. It's those key building blocks of life. Where will you source your water? How will you make sure it's clean? What will your family eat? Um, How will we be able to, to treat wounds and things that come up like that? Simple hygiene. Those are really important things to think about. And it's having that conversation with your family now just in a really upfront way about what would that look like and how we would how we would handle it it's it's a pretty common sense uh, conversation but the key is just to not be afraid of having it and having it now well and of course that's the first step the second step is to make sure that not only did we talk about what we're going to do how we're going to react and make sure that we have the tools available to us so that we can react appropriately now toward that end your company puts together something called the earthquake bag tell us exactly what that is yeah, so the earthquake bag came uh, from my business partner and I really trying to figure out this problem for our own families and saying, hey, you know, we want to get prepared uh, at home and make sure that we have what we would need. What would we want to put in that? Um, and so for us, it was important to, A, really focus on items that we felt like would have a real impact. So food, making sure that we have 1,000 calories of food per person per day, Um knowing that I don't do really well if I don't eat, Craig. (laughs) And in an emergency, I think you're really going to need to be clear-headed and be a leader for your family and make sure that, you know, you can lead the charge. And food's a really important part of that. Water is so important. Um, We focus on having a a gallon of clean water ability per person per day as well. And it's for drinking, it's for cooking, it's for um, hygiene as well, making sure that you have those. Um, shelter and warmth. In the Bay Area, we're, we're blessed to not have too extreme weather, but that's still important. Um, you know, I think thinking through what would happen if you needed to evacuate your home, what would that look like? How would you um, have some sort of shelter and, and keep your family safe? Uh, communications and light. This is something that's really important, and I encourage people to look at is how are you going to stay in touch and how are you going to light your way when you don't have access to electricity or batteries? So looking at things that are powered by hand crank or solar, um, both of those are really powerful and don't have to be expensive, but make it really easy to, A, make sure that you have access to a radio and understand um, government agencies as they're directing things and, and releasing information around what's next and, and how, uh, how the flow of people will, will be happening. What does that sound like? Um, also being able to, to charge your phone uh, or charge devices to be able to get in touch with people and then light. I mean, you know, right now the sun goes down at 5 o'clock. It's a lot of time that we don't have the sun to work with. And if you had to evacuate your home or even shelter in place, making sure that you can light your way. Now, essentially, a lot of these things can all be gathered and assembled, and we can put them into a backpack, or some people use five-gallon buckets, things of that sort. But you think about the time that it takes, making sure that you're getting the right amounts of goods, making sure that the goods have a long shelf life, because you're not going to put a kit like this together every week. And so making sure that you've assembled all of the basic essentials and do it in a fashion where you can literally grab and grow, go if you're forced to do so. You know, if you suddenly find out your house is not safe and now becomes 
becomes a, a camp out adventure, you got to make sure that you're able to grab the essentials and be able to head off, not counting on dropping by 7-Eleven or Walmart or whatever to get what you need, because likely if the stores are even open, their shelves are probably going to be cleared out. So the earthquake bag can become an invaluable survival tool for you and your family. Want to get details? They've done all the work for you. Simply log on to earthquakebag.me. Just simply earthquakebag.me. And you can get all the details about uh, what you need and how you can get uh, this go bag to prepare yourself and your family for what is not an if, but a when the next major earthquake hits the Bay Area. Skylar Halgren, thanks so much for being with us today. Co-founder of Earthquake Bag. Details again on the web at earthquakebag.me. All right, 518. Let's get a look at traffic. Michael Bennett's got the latest for you in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, you probably heard news. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell today saying that he agrees with President Trump's opinions of Steve Bannon. Yesterday, of course, the president accused Bannon of losing his mind when he was fired from the White House. The statement in response to some fiery comments that Bannon made about Trump and his family to the author of a new tell-all book about the Trump administration. All right. What does all of this mean? Joining us today in studio is political observer and commentator Joyce Cordy. Joyce is the founder of Reimagine America. She hosts a eminently insightful program every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The answer certainly a tune-in destination when you get tired of all the nonsense of the talking heads on TV. Sunday mornings, you can tune in and hear what Joyce has to say, bringing a bit of sanity to a world of insanity. That certainly seems to be describing, Joyce, what's going on right now. <laughs> I, I I don't know whether we should be more surprised about the book, its contents, the reaction to same, or even the notion that, you know, tell-all books are not all that unusual, but typically they wait until after the administration is gone. This seems to be a little bit of different uh, a different tact here. Is this I don't know, Steve Bannon committing political suicide in front of all of us? What exactly is this? I think Steve Bannon is, and, and uh, Wolf are in cahoots, and they're going to split the profits of what's going to be an eminently successful book launch. It's certainly getting plenty of free press right you now, know, isn't it? I, I, <laughs> I think the con man learned from the best con man yet. Well, that that may be true, uh, though, of course, we know that there's uh, a lot of backpedaling going on. Um, the former press secretary, Sean Spicer, observed that Bannon is um, not defying any, uh, de- denying rather any of the statements in the Wolf book, which he says troubles him. Um, I, I suppose at the end of the day, maybe the one one of the most accurate observations regarding not just the book, but Steve Bannon himself um, was the observation by Ed Rollins, who, of course, ran Reagan's campaign, yep. successfully so, in 1984. He's been a fixture in Republican Party politics for many, many years. And he essentially says that part of the big problem here is a matter of perception that Bannon's role was way overblown in the White House from the very get-go. Do you think that's true? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think... I think uh, Trump pretty well had the nomination sewed up when Bannon showed up, um, and Bannon had no – there was no change in – there was no strategy. 
there has never been a strategy. You know, this was, um, I will agree with the 20% that's probably true of the Wolf book as far as we've seen to date, and that is this was a branding exercise. You know, this was the con of all cons, guys, by a con man. I mean, Donald Trump descended the escalator in 2015 and made a declaration for the presidency of the United States, not because he thought he would be or wanted to be president, but because he thought he was going to make money by he and Roger Ailes creating a new media empire of conservative values. They were going to out-fox Fox. And what happened was a con, a 63 million vote con, I mean, if we think there have been con jobs in the United States as far back as Ponce de Leon's and his Fountain of Youth or Cortez and Pizarro and their seven cities of gold, they were pikers by comparison. I mean, this was a con. And the con included conning Bannon into thinking he was going to become some sort of Leninist revolutionary and remake the Republican Party into some crazy workers' party. Well, he certainly would define his own role as sort of the uh, the standard bearer, the the gatekeeper of the alt-right <laughs> party, party politic, uh, certainly anti-establishment all along the way. And there are some layers at which perhaps folks frustrated with aspects of the Republican Party, would say, bravo, and bring it on. But at the end of the day, as right as some aspects of the alt-right may be, it still doesn't demonstrate middle-of-the-road American political point of view, and suddenly you find yourself at such an extreme of the party that, let's face it, without the support of the mainstream, it's just not going to happen. Well, there is, you know, Mitch McConnell is still the best politician on Capitol Hill. So Mitch McConnell is right. This is a center-right country. Steve Bannon and his alt-right are not center-right. They're off-the-chart crazy in, into some sort of um, world that serves their needs, okay? They are not includers. They are excluders. And when he calls himself, when he compares himself to Lenin, Bannon is telling us something really important. Uh, he is not a great believer in Republican democracy. But if we go back to the campaign and we talk about who was really in charge, all right, Bannon had an office in Trump Tower. Bannon made a couple of crazy speeches. I've never been a fan of Breitbart news under the Bannon. I, I thought Andrew Breitbart was a pretty bright guy. But, you know, this is not Andrew Breitbart's Breitbart news. I mean, remember that Breitbart was also the founder of Huffington. So we are – there's a difference between wanting to bring broader thought, which is what you and I try to do. We're not – you know, we're classic conservatives. We're willing to look at uh, a problem in an objective fashion and say what's the best, you know, not the perfect, the perfect being the enemy of the good, but what's a good answer, okay? Bannon is not a believer in good. He is a believer in those things which he can control. And if you look at his 
history in business, in media, in in almost any walk of life, it's all about Steve. Well, but the irony here is, and and I agree with your observation that he's interested in those <laughs> things that he can control. But even the casual observer, in watching the way the political season of 2015, 2016 played out, and if you want to go back even farther, just watching the Hollywood and real estate career of Donald Trump, if it demonstrates anything, it demonstrates this. Nobody is in control of Donald Trump but Donald Trump. Absolutely. And even that sometimes is questionable. Well, yeah, there is a great question. <laughs> yeah. There is a, there is a, The one person we know is Melania is not in control because she would take that phone away from him if she could. <laughs> um, and and the, the thing that we – that Steve Bannon, the fiction that Steve Bannon tried to um, perpetuate in the White House was that he was this great strategic thinker who had created this new political mass when, in fact, the person the person who was the campaign manager who brought together as best could be brought together – uh, these disparate pieces of of you know you got to have a GOTV you got to have um, media earned media you got to have that was Kellyanne Conway and Kellyanne Conway now here's the real con guys nobody in that orbit not Kellyanne Conway not General Flynn not even Jared Kushner thought. That Donald Trump was going to win, not Donald Trump. Donald Trump. This was a this was a branding exercise. This was the con, the greatest con man of the 21st century. If you haven't seen the greatest show on earth, you should go see it because that's where he got the idea. I, I've heard it described by those that purport to be in the know that the 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 second biggest shock value in the country on the night of the election, um, the first being the surprise going to Hillary Clinton, who thoroughly thought that she had won, and the second one that was the most surprised was Donald Trump, who couldn't believe that he had won. Donald Trump was not surprised. He was horrified. He didn't want the job. Uh, you know, but that's one of the things that I, I um, have talked about um, in terms of my own radio show, and that is when you really think about the fact that Donald Trump neither planned to be president nor really wanted to be president. What the heck does that say about Hillary? Well, you know, I I think that the profile on Hillary is that she felt she was destined to be president. Uh, To quote her husband, she deserved this. And and it certainly brings up ideas about, you know, we were talking earlier um, uh, pertaining to the notion that um, psychological review needs to be competently done of uh, not only the president, but perhaps some members of the cabinet as well. Uh, You know, any individual, in my opinion, who believes that their insights, talents um, and abilities pretend to the level of being qualified to run a country has got to be more than just... Um, a little bit on the, the, the masochistic side, certainly demonstrates a degree of ego that is phenomenal. Well, yeah, you, you cannot run for the presidency unless there is a little bit of larceny and con in you. But you got to have a really big ego because this is still the most powerful seat in the world, even though it's been 
sadly diminished over the last 12 months. Having a big ego helps. Having thick skin helps, too. And the one thing that this president, I think, has demonstrated over the course of the last 12 months is that, if anything, a thick skin he does not possess. And I, I, I want to talk a bit about that when we come back. I also want to come back and, 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 and talk about um, some of the comments that have been made by Steve Bannon. Perhaps uh, one of the more troubling ones is suggesting that um, there was a treason this Russian Trump Tower meeting that took place, and as a result, Donald Jr. will be split in half like an egg by the media. All that and much more. Our conversation <laughs> with Joyce Cordy continues. Joyce's program, by the way, reimagineamerica.org. You can check that out on the web and make it a date to tune in Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. for her program on her sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. Right now, we've got The Answer to Traffic 533 on the clock and the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Hey, Michael, how we doing out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, a bit of a review of year number one of the Trump administration, talking most recently about all the hubbub going on. You've no doubt by now heard about the book supposedly revealing inside details from um, Steve Bannon, a one-time Trump advisor who is going from obscurity to the White House and back to obscurity again, but apparently not quite fast enough, at least not to please this president. I understand that his attorney, the president's attorney, has issued a cease and desist letter saying you signed <laughs> confidentiality agreements a little bit too late i suppose uh, it's, you're it's working closing. in the white house yeah. that's all on the record folks there is no confidentiality you were an employee of the federal of the federal taxpayer how do you balance on one hand bannon going public giving access to wolf making these statements, now in print, now all, for, all for, for everyone to read. And then yesterday, he on the Breitbart news feed saying that he humbly supports the president and thinks he's a great man. I mean, this, this is beginning to take on a, will the real Steve Bannon please stand up feel to it? Well, that is the real Bannon. The real Bannon is about Bannon. I mean, you know, he'll say whatever makes... Bannon look important. I mean, you know, it's it's like it, I agree with Peter King. You look at him, and and you know, I, I hate to be critical of people's appearance, but he does look like a drunken bum. He's got that disheveled look about him. Yeah, no doubt yeah. About I it. mean, completely. Uh, so, how do you take that man seriously? Either when he's saying that. Where they're going to, you know, that Donald Jr. is guilty of treason for an an act which he was not present in the in Trump Tower it was before he joined the campaign. So how the heck does he know? Well, and, there's and so by much... the way, by the way, I think there's some committees in Congress and 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 invest, investigators on Mueller's staff who may want to know about that. And you know, there's so much hearsay even that that surrounds all of this. I, I, I hearken back to uh, more of the the phony news. Uh, ABC's Brian Ross reporting that Flynn had established a meeting. Uh, between the Trump team and Russia, and then, of course, uh, quickly, immediately after that, this happened about a month ago, uh, had to correct themselves and say, oh, no, the request of that meeting took place after 
the presidential nomination or after the election as opposed to prior to. So major backpedaling there. And, you know, the timing on this is is critically important. So you, you a couple issues of that sort. And then, and I don't want to waste too much time on Bannon tonight, but the, the other curiosity is this apparent mounting of a campaign to undermine and throw out the the established wing of the Republican Party to somehow suggest that you're going to eliminate people like House Speaker Ryan, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and sort of dispense with all of them, promote a new agenda, and be able to get legislation passed. I, I don't quite see where he thought that was going to happen. What well, ma- magical world or what movie does that occur in? In the magical world of Steve Bannon that likens back to sometime between um, 1920 and 1958, the end of McCarthyism, okay, mm-hmm. harkens back to a different world. It was a different country. It's not a recreatable thing. And, and you know, the, if you look at this country um, objectively, you, you have to begin to say the 21st century is a intellectual century. It's a century in which um, technology and its good side and its bad side is incredibly important, uh, both because it makes con men con men, but also because it it creates new opportunities for people. Well, and the terms and, and those people don't have to all look. God help us like Steve Bannon. Well, and moreover, the terms of of engagement have changed radically, too, because in that period of time, uh, Walter Cronkite told the American people what to think. Today, that doesn't happen anymore. There are too many sources out there of real and fake news, and I never quite understood what fake news was anyway. Back in my day, we called it yellow journalism, but regardless... We have a lot of that going on. Th- there, There is a sense today that, that trying to be the sole tone setter or pace setter for the entire nation, that just doesn't happen anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a near impossibility because no, there's too much information out there. There's too much information out there. You know, and, and this goes back to uh, work that I did uh, for the state of California at the turn of the century around technology for the junior college system to bring them together. And one of the big concerns that faculty members had was this all this massive information that we were failing to teach kids, people, how to think critically. And if you look at 2016 and you look at the impact of these RT, these Russian bots, et cetera, okay, I mean, I actually, people I know and respect sent me stuff or brought me stuff or showed me stuff on Facebook that I, and I looked at them and said, you know, that's crazy. Well, but I didn't know it was Russian crazy. I just knew it was crazy crazy. But people were believing that because we're failing to look at the news. Fake news is news that we don't take in critically. Well, we're or also as failing. I, as I like to say on my program, I'm going to make one point and then I'm going to shut up. As I like to talk about on my program, I'm going to bring you the facts. There's no flamethrowing here. I'm going to bring you the facts because if I give you the facts, you can make intelligent judgments. Okay, and so my last question, or my question back to you, when we as we move away from the Bannon problem and look at the larger context of where we are and how do we get out of this mess, is what about people like 
Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and the the way in which they've they've kowtowed, that they've bowed low, that they've suppressed their own instincts in order to support this president marching down paths that they knew would not be successful from the health care thing through a tax bill that, you know, is going to be really hard to sell, especially in California. Um, but but um, where where is their where is their moral certainty? Where is their country before party? And oh, by the way, the only thing that's going to slip faster than this country is what's going to happen to Republicans in the 2018 midterm election. So it just makes no sense. And at the center of this, you have this Leninist uh, flamethrower, and that's what he is. You know, whether he's on Breitbart News saying, I support the president, or in Wolf's book saying, Donald's going to, Junior's going to, is guilty of treason, and Donald's, you know, they're all crazy, and Ivanka wants to be president, and so forth. Um, is what the heck happens to the rest of us in this mess? Well, and we're, we're either sad, uh, sorry spectators in the process um, or, or victims, maybe a little bit of both. If we're not one, we're certainly going to be the other. And I think the other thing that sort of exacerbates this problem, Joyce, is we have lost much of our historical perspective. There is a tremendous degree of, I think, blissful ignorance out there. What's the old adage? Those that re- that, that forget those history who, are doomed do to repeat it. Those who do not read history, speaking of a president who does not read, those who do not read history are condemned to repeat it. So with that thought in mind, you know, taking a step back and looking at the Russian meddling to whatever degree that's happened in the 2016 election, I think to myself, and we're surprised about this, how this is a historical enemy of ours. And while maybe the lion had a new fresh coat of paint on him, if you wash the paint away, the old spots are still there. And in a day and a time when every cable outlet in the country on their low tier, everybody gets it list of channels is included to a 24 hour a day digest of RT, which people forget is Russia Today, and we're getting the direct perspective on the world news from Moscow, and I'm seeing them oftentimes quoted on, quote-unquote, mainstream media, ABC, CBS, NBC, et al., and then we stand back and we're surprised that the Russians potentially meddled in our 2016 election? Give me a break. We have forgotten many of the historical lessons that I think to a certain degree then, including Republican Party leadership, is creating this sort of departure from our historical beliefs and values and willingness to coddle, if not ultimately collapse, before the liberal left, the Democrat Party? Is it any wonder that more of their bidding gets done than the conservative side? Not in my world. They're better con men than we are. And successfully so. Successfully so. And so if we if we look at 2016 and we say, okay, what's what's happened? One, you know, uh, we'll give uh, Jonah Goldberg a little plug here. He's coming out with a book called Tribal Tribalism, um, and we have kind of divided into tri- into tribes, and and we're also unsuspecting. One, our schools no longer teach critical thinking. 
one of the reasons that our kids do so poorly in math is we don't teach differential um, equations anymore. In other words, we don't teach them how to solve story problems. And so then we wonder why in the fourth grade they're slipping and against international norms. Um, we don't do a good job of, of the hard truths that America's not a perfect place, never has been a perfect place, but we continue to strive. We are a beacon, not a, just a, not a destination, okay? And we want to be a beacon more than we want to be a destination. But we've done a very poor job of assimilating huge numbers of immigrants in a very short period of time. Used to take centuries, used to take several generations, used to be communities. Um, and, and I know from my own experience, my parents were, were immigrants, right? And I had to take speech therapy because they were afraid, because they were German-speaking, that I might roll my R's. And my goodness, they wanted me to be an American. So we don't do that anymore. We do the opposite of that, okay? So every community in their own language, with their own customs, with their own folks, here's their own little segment of the total political dialogue. You know, there are very few people like Craig and me who listen to uh, both MSNBC and Fox, and occasionally, like on New Year's Eve, uh, I watch CNN for a few minutes. But Far better off without Kathy Griffin this year, well, but I digress. <laughs> well, you digress, but, but it was, uh, it, it's a conversation not, not for another day. Not quite as pornographic as it typically but, is. But, but well, it, it came pretty close yes, when they had Nicole and, mm-hmm. and Keith on there for it, a minute. It, it did indeed. Uh, before she kicked him under the table. Um, <laughs> and and it, it, is, it is that tribalism which is compounded by social media. It's not just the multiple channels on television. It's not just RT being quoted without being quoted, without the context on some of our broader network stations. It's the way in which social media, which we've, we've, we've embraced. We've said, oh, it's so good. I mean, we did more of our shopping online this year than offline. Um, we're less social beings. We don't meet people who don't agree with us anymore. And our friends at Facebook and Twitter, etc., only help us to be more that way. And that's the opposite of the way in which America has always conducted its political dialogue. It's always been a, a, a you know, as I said with my own parents, I, you know, I grew up English-speaking, but they were afraid I might have an accent, right? They wanted me to be English-speaking, so my English is a whole lot better than my German, although I can cuss pretty well in German. Um, and and that it's the opposite. We now have kids in California who come to school in, in their in kindergarten speaking 144 different languages. So how do we get their parents together in the same in the same political discussion, in the same uh, debate so that they can understand um, and, and the facts of the matter and make their own judgments? Well, at the we end don't the, do that anymore. I think at the end of the day when you jettison common goals, <laughs> common morality, uh, a sense of common value, and you move away from what had historically been the politic of dialogue to now it has moved from dialogue to monologue to diatribe, and that's it. 
So we don't talk to each other, we talk at each other, and in often cases, we talk past each other. If you've just joined us, we're talking today with Joyce Cordy. Her program, by the way, Reimagine America, can be heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. By the way, a whole treasure trove of great insights and information, podcasts, you'll find it all. Just check out her website at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Let's take a final time out in this hour, get you a quick update on traffic. Michael Bennett, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back to the conversation with Joyce Cordy. Again, a reminder, her program, Reimagine America, heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. All right, well, let's kind of, in the remaining couple of minutes here, Joyce kind of put a bow on all of this. And I guess the big question is, where do you see all of this headed? Good Lord, if you have a crystal ball in the first week of this new year, if you realize that, you know, I think Bannon is yesterday's news. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. This is going to be a short burst in the news cycle and then over. <laughs> no, I think this book will have a lasting effect because it gives new ammunition um, in terms of the issue of the 25th Amendment. Well, and, and to be sure, people who on the left hated <laughs> Steve Bannon yesterday are now, the, he's the new poster child of the left today. Yes, but, but. The issue still remains that Donald Trump is the president of the United States. And I want to see congressional leadership stand up, not just to um, his inadequacies, but to the so-called base, the 38 percent, and say, you know what? Country's bigger than you. I mean, if you're going to lose an election, let's lose an election on principle uh, and on trying to undo some of the damage that you and I have been talking about in terms of uh, the influence of social media, the the tribalism that's come that's recurred, um, nasty terms in terms of um, you know of white supremacy, however you call it. I found it appalling this week on um, on I saw it on another channel, but on Fox and Friends, um, someone uh, saying to the anchors who agreed with us, one of whom I know quite well, and and I just would never have imagined this of him, uh, standing there for that, um, that that, that you, the Mueller investigation of Manafort and that grand jury could not be fair because there were black people on it. Wow. I mean, this is 2018. It is not 1948. Well, there's also a curiosity here that you've unearthed, because when the announcement was first made that it was going to be Robert Mueller who will be heading up the investigation, I think almost universally conservatives, Republicans said, sounds good, sounds fair, good guy, good track record, honorable man, shouldn't be a problem. And then we started seeing the indictments be handed down. And all of a sudden now it's like, well, there's an agenda here. And there's many people that are on that committee that are supporting supporters of Hillary Clinton, and it looks like the, the gig is up. I mean, which is it going to be? All right, so so take us to yesterday, when Rob Rosenstein came marching down the halls of Congress with his security detail into Speaker Ryan's office, and apparently Christopher Ray was there as well, and the subject was Devin Nunes. Now, I want to know what's going on there. But what I want most of all is to challenge 
the leadership of the conservative movement, whether it is intellectual or Mitch and Paul, to stand up to Mark Meadows and the Freedom Caucus, because I can't figure out what their agenda is either, um, and, and to stand up for country above party. Because the one thing that is absolutely certain is that if there is no change in direction in 2018, in November, we will have a democratic tsunami, and you and I both know what will happen in 2019. Well, and at the end of the day, if the number one goal and agenda is not to (laughs) uphold and protect and defend at all costs the Constitution of the United States and the integrity of the Republic, and it's rather about protecting simply party platforms, party agendas, or party majorities, we're in a heap of trouble. What party agenda? What party platform? I guess there isn't any. There isn't any. (laughs) Nobody can agree. (laughs) What really amazes me is the inability to confront the incompetence in the White House when you've got a guy who may not be, he may not be charismatic, but Mike Pence could actually govern. I mean, where we, there is no way. I mean, you and I are not, weren't born yesterday. Can you imagine three more years? Can you imagine? Because what is the president's most fundamental responsibility? You know, forget debt, deficit, agendas, all of this. It's to keep you and me safe. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you, after big button, bigger button, um, (laughs) Pakistanis, I'm going to take away all of your aid. Palestinians, I'm going to take away all of your aid. Um, Iranians, you know, uh, uh, we're we're um, we're going to let Twitter and and Facebook cut you off. Um, do you feel safer? Well, and the other irony there is that for a political and, candidate running for office, having the filter turned off is probably an okay thing. Yeah. Once you have obtained the office, the filter needs to be turned on. That hasn't quite happened yet. He did all those four foreign policy things in two and a half days. Yeah, some Can't. presidents take two and a half years to formulate a foreign policy. No, no to he do that out, much damage. Yeah, and he gets he, get, he gets his foreign policy out in 140 characters or less. That's the irony. Um, and and so so if that is the most fundamental, so I, I don't know how much time we have left, but if the most fundamental responsibility of the president of the United States and the Congress of the United States is to keep you and me safe, how much longer can we allow this situation? to go on. Well, in particular, when you recognize that traditional enemies of ours are banking on certain calculated failures. While Pyongyang may be involved in a tit-for-tat sword saber-rattling contest with the White House, I tell you who's taking it far more seriously and who's actually pulling the strings of the puppeteer? Beijing. Beijing, you got it. China, and you know what? And you know what? Just to close this off, it doesn't really matter whether Putin's objective was to elect Trump as his lackey or to weaken Hillary Clinton as a president. What happened is that he succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. And, Craig, we need to change that calculus. 
Yeah, no doubt about that. Want to hear more? Joyce Cordy's program, Reimagine America, Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. More information again and lots of great resources, too, on the web at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. We'll take a brief time out, get you updated on some traffic, a look at headline news. When we come back, Vern Tyler joins us as we begin our series on parenting. That is this edition of Lifeline continues. Right now, though, traffic with Michael Bennett. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 